The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you, each week I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with two folks, two people. Roger Wiegand, who will be on the show later today, publishes Trader Tracks. And Chen Lin, uh, who will not be on the show today because he's in an important meeting in Manhattan somewhere, uh, Chen publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do have a special introductory price, so you can try each of those uh, separately, those newsletters, at a, uh, a lower introductory price one time only. You can call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426 or call or go to miningstocks.com and I like to say the best website to go to to check out everything that I do including accessing this radio show is jtaylormedia.com that's j-a-y-t-a-y-l-o-r media.com I want to thank each of you for listening to this show making it the number one show on the Voice America business channel and I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Prophecy Platinum, American Bonanza Gold, American Manganese, and Rye Patch Gold. This week, my special guest will be uh, Chuck Baldwin. He is a Christian pastor who is uh, actually supporting Ron Paul, and he's going to tell you why he thinks uh, Christians should be should really be looking at Ron Paul as the man to vote for. Uh, we'll ask him uh, why he thinks that is uh, why he thinks that Christians are really missing the mark, um, and why they are really refusing to to support uh, Ron Paul. And uh, anyway, that's that. He will be our main guest today. A lot of very interesting things I think coming from this man who is an independent thinker, certainly um, uh, a Christian by no no doubt about that in terms of his his views. Uh, but uh, we, we will see uh, the, you know, how what his views are on the separation of of church and state and some other issues. I'm going to also um, have, as I mentioned, Roger Wiegand will be with me uh, in the second hour of today's show from about a quarter after 
uh, four, New York time till a quarter till five. Uh, and uh, to start the second hour, I'm going to play once again uh, the speeches, uh, very famous speeches by President Eisenhower, President Kennedy, uh, and a less famous speech perhaps by Richard Nixon, Eisenhower talking about the threats of the military-industrial complex, Kennedy talking about the threats of a secret society, and then Nixon really going out and uh, telling us all why. It'll be good for us if we get rid of gold as a backup to the dollar. It won't hurt us at all. It'll be nice, and we will be nice. It'll be nice and kind and gentler. No inflation will result. Don't uh, Let's put that bugaboo to rest, Mr. Nixon said. Well, we know what happened when we took gold, um, detached gold from the dollar. In the 1970s, we had uh, some of the most rabid inflation uh, that we've had since uh, in the United States since uh, since the Civil War, actually. Uh, so we're going to be talking uh, about uh, politics and economics to an extent, as is so common in this show, of course. Uh, now, one of the things before we get on to our first, uh, we are going to be talking with Bill Howell, I failed to mention, coming up after the break. Bill Howell, who is the CEO of Rypatch Gold, Really interesting company that picked up some ground in Nevada. They already have nearly 4 million ounces of gold, gold equivalent, including uh, silver. But uh, it's a company that uh, made an act. It looks like it's picked up some ground as a result of a uh, failure to file, keeping their, their claims current in the Nevada, uh, in the Nevada system. Uh, and so they've picked up some, some very exciting ground. It looks like uh, this could be a company that is very, very underpriced, and it is one that I have uh, I have invested in. It is a sponsor to this show, I should point out, as I just mentioned. And also, of course, uh, uh, it's a company that I have personally invested in, so those are the disclaimers. Well, looking at the markets today, we're having a really big day for gold. Uh, I saw just looking at the uh, at the screen a little while ago, gold was up $31.60. Silver was up over $0.70. Cents. Meantime, the NASDAQ and the Dow... Uh, and the, the the big stock market really is not doing much of anything. It's sort of in sort of uh, negative territory now. It just went negative, not uh, in a big way, but negative. And that reminds me of something that I wrote in my newsletter this past week that I think is very, very important to keep an eye on. Uh, Robert Prechter pointed out in his most recent newsletter that going back 80 years or so, you draw an uptrend line, and the Dow Jones is now bumping right up against that uptrend line. Can it take out that line? Well, uh, through February, we would be looking at a range of something like 12,984 to 13,026. Uh, and the Dow is just underneath that 12,984 level right now. So if we are at a crucial point in time, I think. If, if the Dow can get up above that resistance line significantly, we could be off to something very uh, very big on the upside potentially. On the other hand, there is an awful lot of, um, there's an awful lot of resistance, an awful lot of, uh, it, it is a natural resistance line, but there's an awful lot of optimism right now in the market, and there's an awful lot of money uh, among, uh, that's been put to work already, uh, in the fund. So the, uh, as, as some people are pointing out, if you're a contrarian investor, you like to be in the market when everybody else uh, thinks it's a horrible place to be and when everybody's feeling pretty good about things, it might be time to take some money off the table. Indeed, that's what Mark Faber suggested this morning uh, on um, uh, when he was on the uh, Bloomberg radio show uh, that I listened to in the morning here, suggesting that we could be looking at uh, some tough sledding for the equity markets. And uh, as far as gold goes, Mark says he's buying gold every month, uh, 
puts it away, buys the physical gold. And uh, very interestingly, on main for a mainstream radio show, uh, Mr. Faber suggested to uh, Thomas Keene and uh, his co-host that uh, Americans, if you're an American, you probably shouldn't be storing your gold in the United States. You probably ought to have it somewhere else. Uh, and Tom Keene asked him why that would be the case. And uh, Faber reminded Thomas Keene that, of course, uh, it's happened once in the United States. Gold was confiscated by the Roosevelt administration uh, in 1932, and then, uh, of course, uh, we were, Americans were paid $28 and change for it, and then after that, they hiked the price to $35. So it's happened once. The precedent has been set. Uh, I think that we are looking at, uh, uh, you know, some very, very risky times, no doubt about it. This show focuses very often on well, what you have to characterize as negatives in the market. No doubt about it, um, I believe and most of or many of the people that are on this show believe that we are facing some very difficult times because we have really failed to follow the advice of our founding fathers, the people that believe that free markets are the best way to go, not only for liberty and freedom, but also uh, for uh, the sake of, um, of prosperity. Uh, people are happy and they're free to do what, they're, uh, what their God-given uh, abilities allow them to do, uh, and pursue their happiness, then uh, people are more efficient. It's not sort of a hard thing to argue against. Also, we know, those of us who have studied markets, understand how free markets allocate scarce resources most efficiently, much more efficiently than several brilliant men sitting around a table trying to determine how, what the interest rate should be, how many shoes should be manufactured, etc., that's nonsense. That's communism. That's fascism. That's statism. That's ant- everything other than free market. And of course, that's the way we've been heading. But there is some reason to be optimistic in the United States now, I think, as well. And part of it was hinted at last week when I had Rick Rule and Doug Casey with me. And both of those gentlemen suggested that they were going to be uh, looking at investing in the United States again a bit more. And I had, a que- had an ability to ask Rick Rule afterwards by email. Uh, if that might have something to do with the uh, new technologies that are allowing us to capture oil and gas from shale, shale rock. And this indeed is something I think that is uh, that has great promise. It looks to me like it's going to be really big, and I think it could mean a lot for the United States. It could actually uh, help us to a, to a great extent, I think, um, get away from the horrible condition we're in, of course, we can expect the politicians to uh, start in a very greedy manner, try to tax the people that are making profits from these, uh, from, from this uh, new ability to extract huge amounts of oil and gas from the United States. But it is a very optimistic, it is a very upbeat, positive note that I have to pass along to you. And I hope to talk more about that. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be getting some oil and gas people on this show in the not-too-distant future uh, as soon as I can, to start talking about some of the possibilities, some of the ways that we can profit from uh, what is potentially a revolutionary uh, development in the uh, in the energy sector. Well, we are going to go to break now. Uh, we're going to uh, take our first commercial break, and when we come back, I'll be with Bill Howald. He is the president and CEO of Rypatch Gold, a very exciting company, uh, one that I've invested in, one that is a sponsor of this show, one I've written about in my newsletter, company in Nevada with multi-million ounces of gold uh, being discovered, being put on the book. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Bill Howell. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me once again Bill Howald. He is the president and CEO of Rypatch Gold Corp. And for the sake of full disclosure, I should tell you that uh, Rypatch is a sponsor to this show. It is uh, also a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and my partner, Chen Lin, also has it as a recommendation in his letter. And I should also say that I do personally own the stock, which I've purchased for my IRA account. Uh, Rypatch trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol RPM, and you can buy it in the United States, as I have, under the symbol RPMGF. 138.2 million shares outstanding. Stock was as high as 75 cents today. It's come down to about 70 cents with a general equity market decline later in the day today, but that gives it a market cap of around $97 million. Welcome, Bill. It's good to have you back. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be back. Really good to have you to talk about uh, the most recent developments, and you certainly do have a lot of exciting things going on. You have already, and I, and I have felt, uh, Bill, uh, that your shares have been undervalued. I've felt that way, and that's why I purchased them. You have a gold equivalent. I know that the regulatory people don't like you to mix numbers, but you have total measured and indicated resources of a million one hundred eighty-two thousand ounces you have uh, that's gold equivalent that includes some silver you have two million seven hundred twenty seven thousand inferred resource uh, numbers gold ounces I should say and you know you add the two together which I know it's ad- it's apples and oranges but nonetheless it's ounces in the ground and you you're bumping up against four million ounces of gold in the ground in a state where the infrastructure is in place where people know how to mine where the uh, regulatory environment is uh, uh, you know, is is not terribly or is not unreasonably onerous, uh, and yet your share price was sort of just sort of meandering around, not going anywhere until uh, you discovered that your neighbors hadn't kept their claims up to date, and you went out and, and grabbed those claims, and your share price popped up very nicely. But uh, what can you tell our listeners about the legal status of that? I guess what you're calling your Rochester uh, project now. Right. Well, at, at Rochester, you know, just to kind of step back a bit, we're really trying to build, uh, you know, two trend scale opportunities. You know, Rochester is obviously part of our uh, our opportunities uh, along the Oriana trend, and as you mentioned, that's where we have uh, all of our, our resource ounces. Mm-hmm. We're currently drilling on the property and have just uh, completed almost uh, twelve thousand feet of drilling, or almost four thousand meters. Um, we're waiting on assays on on that those drill results. However, we have been uh, mapping and sampling, collecting rocks and soils, and uh, uh, you know, as long as the the mining law in the United States is good, then uh, we're pretty confident that uh, you know those claims, uh, the LH claims, are, are the senior mining claims in the district, and uh, they're ours. Mm-hmm. What uh, can you give our invest or our listeners some sense of uh, of what? I mean, I guess you can't really know what's there, but. Um... I understand that a part of those claims, though, you are not allowed to work on. I guess it has to do with those that have been developed. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, we actually had a, a, a court hearing uh, with uh, uh, Coeur d'Alene and, and their counsel with regard to safety. And uh, it was deemed at the end of that uh, that the uh, judge uh, didn't want to rule on the title issue at that particular point, but he did want to make sure that Everybody was uh, working safely, and uh, as a result of, uh, of that hearing, uh, what we've uh, been uh, instructed is to really stay out of the pit, 
stay off the dumps and stay off the heap leach pads. But uh, a lot of uh, that area is on the LH claims, and that doesn't preclude us from having a, a valid title on the claim. So when any idea when you might be able to go on those claims? Well, we're uh, currently now we're in the process of uh, just starting what they call discovery, which will be a series of depositions. Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometime in the fall, I believe there's a, a, a date that's been uh, asked for with the court, and uh, I'm not sure if it's been approved yet, but, uh, you know, late summer, early, early fall, and uh, that would be a, a court or a trial date. Mm-hmm. And then we'll know for sure whether or not uh, the, what do you call them, the LH claims? The LH claims. Uh, are yours? Yeah, well, it's, it, that's an interesting thing because if it uh, if they turn out not to be ours, that would fly in the face of U.S. mining law. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, we um, we like to pride ourselves in the United States as being a nation of laws, not of men. And I think uh, uh, if it's clear cut, then uh, you know it's, it, it certainly would seem to be. Of course, I'm not talking from an unbiased point of view either. My good friend uh, Chen Lin and partner actually owns shares in both companies, so uh, I suppose, you know, he's covered. But, uh, I, I uh, you know, the point is that um, I, I am not speaking to you and asking you questions from an unbiased point of view. I just want to lay that out there. I see. Uh, so uh, can you give our listeners any sense of, uh, I mean, what can you tell us anything about that exploration project there along that trend? Uh, you call it the or- Oriana, the Oricana? Well, at, at the Oriana trend, um, you know, you know, we'll look at a couple of milestones that we'll we'll have come up this year. Um, we're working on a new resource update at our Wilco property, so that would come out at the end of the first quarter. And then we've also uh, encountered a new zone at our Lincoln Hill property that we encountered in 2010 and did a, a very large drill program last year. Uh-huh. And we'll put out a new resource estimate for Lincoln Hill uh, towards the end of the second quarter. And mm-hmm. then, uh, of course, you know, uh, we've acquired some resources uh, with the staking of the LH claims, and we'll be working towards uh, putting that into our own 43101 uh, uh, resource report. And, uh, you know, that should come out sometime uh, late summer, early fall. Mm. And what is sort of the – I notice you have a mixture. You've got quite a few ounces of silver. On the Wilco, for example, you've got – Total, uh, you know, all all categories, 19.8 million ounces of silver there, and then down in Lincoln Hill, you got 9.5 million ounces. What is the sort of the mix between at current prices, the value between gold and silver here on this property? Yeah, it's about uh, three quarters of the values out of gold, and the other quarters out of silver. Uh, you um, know, in general. Okay, and uh, three quarters. Um, okay. Uh, and then, okay, so, and you're going to be, how much drilling did you say you've done on the Wilco? At Wilco, we've done about, uh, 35,000 meters in total. Uh huh. Wow. And those haven't been factored in yet. Uh, so, uh, most of those are our resource, but we're, we're, really we're working on for the first quarter of this year will be a, a resource update on what we call um, the North Basin. And that's where we started to intercept some very high-grade material. When I say high-grade, I'm talking grades between, say, 3 grams and 50 grams, and over thicknesses between 3 meters and about 15 meters. So that area has not been incorporated into the resource, and, and that's what we'll be adding and then uh, putting out a, a brand-new resource update at the end of Q1. So you really, um, it's hard to say then, but, I mean, it looks to me like uh, 
it could be fairly substantial. Was a lot of that drilling step-out drilling or infill, or how would you characterize it? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, we wanted to find the overall um, strike length, if you will, of the high-grade zone, and then we wanted to, you know, come back and fill it in and try to understand exactly what was going on there. So there'll be a mix of both uh, measured, indicated, and, and inferred along that new zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you are going to... Um what are you planning to do? How much drilling is going to go forward this year then? You're talking now mostly about drilling that's been done. What is your drill program this year, and how much will it cost, and how well-funded are you for it? Right. Right now, well, at the end of uh, at the end of uh, 2011, we had a little over $7 million in the bank. Hmm. We have a program now that we're putting together that uh, – totals uh, roughly $5 million. And it, the way it breaks down is, as I, as I mentioned early on, we've got two, two trend-scale opportunities. So along the Oriana trend, uh, we'll put about $3 million of that five into the Oriana trend. Most of uh-huh. that will be uh, drilling and uh, work along the, the Rochester property. And then at Cortez, we've got two really early-stage projects, but uh, in close proximity to uh, Barrick Gold's brand-new discoveries at Red Hill and, and Gold Rush, and I don't know if, if, your, listener, if your listeners saw this, but uh, just uh, late last week, uh, Barrick announced that they had doubled the resource at uh, Red Hill and Gold Rush from about three and a half million ounces of gold up up to seven. Wow! And uh, you know that's just a mile and a mile and a half, or about three kilometers north of our Garden Gate Pass property. Mm-hmm. And then a little farther south, we have another project called Patty which uh, has some past drilling with some very uh, nice, uh, thick intercepts of uh, geochem gold. We've got some zones with uh, about 300 feet of uh, a third of a gram in there. So uh, some places to start. Um, it's exciting on the Cortez trend. Obviously, there's some large deposits there. and We'll get uh, drilling on those trends uh, in uh, May, June, and July. And uh, over there, we've allocated about $2 million. Wow. Well, I know that uh, it seems to me somewhere along the line, I don't know if it's something that you told me when we when we met and uh, at some time in the past or if it's something you've actually written, but I think it was a corporate goal to, to find upwards to 10 million ounces on, on the various properties that you have. That's right. Um, it, 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 do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. And so, I mean, these are the kind of ounces that should, I would think, should bring, um, you know, quite a much higher valuation to your to your share price. I mean, nobody ever, you never can know, you know, how the markets are going to price something. But in this day and age, when when the major mining companies are making huge amounts of profits, I mean, you're seeing the real price of gold rise very dramatically, and. Um, you know, I would I would think that um, you know I mean of course this is why I'm holding the stock, why I'm telling my subscribers to buy it, why I own it, uh, that that there's a great deal of upside potential here. I mean, it's not like you're finding ounces of gold in the Arctic Circle or something. No, not at all. In fact, I mean on, on the Oriana trend, the, the ounces are pretty much uh, right at the surface. Uh, the majority of them that we've seen so far are in the oxide category. We've done metallurgy to confirm that, and. Uh, you know, it's in Nevada, so Nevada is a mining mining state, and uh, there's really good infrastructure, people, power, water, and and gold. Yeah, and it's uh, certainly true. Uh, anything else that you think our listeners should know about before we conclude our discussion today? Well, as I said, we're we're building two trend scale opportunities with uh, our kind of bird in the hand, if you will, along the Oriana trend with our ounces of gold and gold equivalent, and then what I call two in the bush, which is a big upside potential along the Cortez trend. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and is that uh, you have the Jessup? I think or no, that's not the that's Jessup that is the along the Oriana trend. Yeah, do you have uh, you don't have any resource at all yet from the uh, from the Cortez? No, both of those properties are, are early stage. Like I said, there's some uh, nice drill results to follow up on uh, that were drilled back in uh, the mid 2000, like 2005, 2006, and then of course Garden Gate Pass is. Uh, uh, immediately adjacent to and surrounded by Barrick. We have Barrick on uh, three sides of us, and then uh, on the west side is, a, is another group. But, uh, you know, we're right in line with uh, Red Hill, Gold Rush, ET Blue. That whole trend comes down onto the Garden Gate Pass property. No, it's very, very, very exciting, no doubt about it. And uh, uh, your website, so people can follow your progress, is what? Is uh, com. Fantastic, Bill. I thank you very much again for talking to us. I look forward to keeping up with your uh, company's progress. We'll be looking at those press releases, and uh, I know your shares were up a lot more earlier today, but the general market has brought them down again. But I see the price of gold is up $31 today, and more importantly, as I point out to my subscribers and as I say frequently on this show, the real price of gold, that is the gold price relative to other things, in the Rogers Raw Materials Fund relative to copper, energy, and so forth. Yeah, oil is up and everything, uh, you know, other commodities have risen some, but we're looking at a very, very high price of gold relative to everything else, and this is resulting in huge profits. And I would think that some of those big mining companies that are around you, like uh, I guess Newmont is out there, Barrick, Barrick, and some of these companies are probably going to at some point be saying, we'd like to have some of those ounces of gold that uh, Rypatch has. So it's uh, just a matter of time, I think, Bill. Hang in there is what I would say, and um, I'm going to try to do the same uh, for myself and my subscribers. You know, we get these shakeout periods from time to time, but ultimately uh, patience is rewarded in this business, especially if you're in a bull market, no doubt That's about right. it. Right. Thanks, uh, Bill. Uh, Thanks folks, so much, go- Jay. It was a pleasure. Uh, likewise. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. Uh, I'm going to be right back after the break. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Well Green Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O.com. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I uh, regret to tell you that uh, Chuck Baldwin had an emergency and was not able to make it uh, to be with us today. Hopefully, we'll be able to get him on some other time, and more importantly, we hope that there's nothing uh, too serious going on, whatever the nature of that emergency was. I don't know, but he uh, he was not, not able to, to come uh, to be with us. I really wanted to talk to him because... Uh, he's a Christian pastor who has uh, been uh, supporting Ron Paul, and it's uh, it, it's odd to me, personally. I mean, I'm I've known Ron for many years. He's been on this show uh, several times, and I've talked to him over the years. I uh, I find it odd that Christians have supported uh, people like Rick Santorum and uh, uh, Mr. Gingrich, who are really, uh, in my view, warmongers, who really don't see. I mean, I I don't understand the mentality of. Um, this whole notion of kill a commie for Christ or kill a Muslim for Christ. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the notion, uh, I, I also find it very difficult to see why it's so hard to comprehend what the CIA said that the reason, as Ron Paul has said, the reason they came over here is because we're over there. And that we're all over the world. I mean, we're in, I don't know, 114 countries. We've got a, we've got a military presence. We've got people over there interfering with local politics, and clearly, in my view, it has to do with the uh, with the need or the, the desire of an empire to expand an empire. But let's call it what it is. If we're an empire, let's not try to kid ourselves and send our kids to die in foreign wars for liberty when, in fact, it's exactly the opposite of what's going on in this country now. We're losing our liberties. We're losing our freedoms. Uh, and so to try to uh, disguise it as something uh, that's different, uh, I mean, it's, it's just outrageous in my view. So I'm just editorializing a bit in uh, Chuck Baldwin's absence. I hope we can get him on sometime soon to talk about um, his views, and he has been the, pre- has been the uh, candidate for president on the Constitution Party in the past, and uh, he did. He has supported Ron Paul this time. Ron Paul supported him in 2008 for president uh, when Ron, of course, did not prevail in the Republican primaries the last go-round. So uh, we had a lot of things to talk to uh, Chuck Baldwin about today, but I'm sure we'll get him on sometime. I'm hoping at least we will get him on sometime in the future, uh, in the near future. I also want to take this opportunity to mention that next week we're going to have Dr. John Coleman on the show again. And uh, Coleman, uh, along with some of the other folks that we've had on this show, uh, like G. Edward Griffin, like uh, John Perkins, like Daniel Eston and like Adrian Salbucci um, and various other people uh, have talked about the powers behind the throne. What is really going on and why? Uh, why do we have a Federal Reserve when it's not constitutional? Why do we, uh, you know, who's calling the shots? Why, why do big banks get bailed out when it hurts the average people so badly over time? You know, what is really going on? And next week uh, I want to talk some more to Dr. John Coleman about his uh, book, The Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, which talks about 
uh, how the British royalty and then the Rothschilds funded the Tavistock Institute. And its primary focus, its reason for being, was to brainwash the British people and the Americans into World War I, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, and to get the American people to think the way they wanted us to think. Uh, the Committee of 300 is another book that he's written uh, in which he talks about the powers behind the throne, the intellectuals that have been used to uh, to promote this kinder, gentler communism, if it were, uh, as you will. And, you know, we talked to Ed Griffin, who who who, who told us uh, initially uh, when he first came on uh, the show back in March of 2009, our very first show, Ed Griffin talked about how a group of intellectuals in, in London um, had no difference at all uh, with the Bolsheviks. In fact, they wanted to achieve the same thing uh, that the Bolsheviks wanted to attain, and that was um, an elite group of people ruling the world. And they wanted to do it, though, through, um, uh, through not through the barrel of a gun, as the Bolsheviks did, but through an educational process. And I think that educational process is well on its way. We had another gentleman on this show in the past who talked to a Russian fellow, an engineer uh, who was in Russia, lived in Russia a good part of the time, and he said that our propaganda machinery is second to none. We are able to convince Americans. We have these uh, very well-dressed Brooks Brothers suits, uh, PhDs from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, telling us why we should go along with the establishment uh, and, uh, you know, most of us say, well, yeah, I mean, these guys are PhDs from Yale, Princeton, Harvard. Why shouldn't we, uh, why shouldn't we believe what they say is true? Anyway, Chuck Baldwin, uh, hopefully he'll be on with us again sometime. Uh, it was an emergency. We're not sure what the nature of the emergency was. Uh, we just told about five minutes before he was supposed to come on that he uh, was not uh, available to come on. Meantime, though, I'm very grateful that my partner, Roger Wiegand, is available Roger is here with me. Welcome, Roger. Good to be here, Jay. It's interesting that you mentioned the uh, Federal Reserve situation. I've got a three-page story under my Great Depression II heading in my newsletter called Day of Infamy, and that has to do with the signing of the Federal Reserve in 1913. I have a photograph uh, of the people involved and some of the details as to why they did it and why and what, what they've been doing. Very interesting story, to say the least. Well, uh, why do you think they did it, and who did it? Well, it, it, the, the original idea, Jay, as I understand it, was, you remember the banking panic in 1907. Mm-hmm. and uh, I don't remember it, no, Roger, but I, I read about it. <laughs> in, in history books. Anyway, uh, apparently that panic was uh, so swift and so scary that it looked like the entire stock market and some of the banks were going to be destroyed and so people got together with the idea that they were going to put a Federal Reserve system in place, although they called it some other names at that time. Uh, J.P. Morgan got in the middle of this thing, and he pushed people into a room after the panic and told them that um, they could get money from the banks and prop up the brokerages, which is what he did. And what they did later on, they had an act, Jay, called the... Um, National Monetary Commission. It was formed under the Aldrich Greeland Act in 1908, and that was as a result of the panic in 1907. Uh, everybody at that time was suspicious of that whole situation, and later on, it, of course, it evolved into the Jekyll Island collaboration business. And even at that time, 
the people that were involved with the Jekyll Island business, um, they were doing it under cloak and dagger uh, circumstances, to say the least. It was done under the ruse of being a gentleman's duck hunting expedition. Expedition, excuse me. And and we all know the story. What happened afterwards? Uh, they put together the Federal Reserve. They signed it, and it was interesting in that uh, they rammed it through in a very short period of time. It was only a couple of weeks, basically, to get it done. And you look at what they do in Congress now, and they can't even knock a hundred billion dollars out of a sixteen trillion dollar budget in the span of a year. So well, Roger, guys, what they did. Uh... What they did, Roger, as I understand it from uh, Griffin's book and what he told us on the show, is that they had actually orchestrated the uh, the approval, the passage of that bill, over the Christmas holiday when certain key people were away. So that's how they managed to get it through. But um, but but go ahead. Well, the whole thing was done under sneaky circumstances because they they knew that the fallout, uh, both in the Congress and with the public, uh, was going to be very at a very high level and would probably prevent this thing from being done. So uh, they pushed it through, as you mentioned, over a holiday, and they got it signed. And this has proven to be a plague on the world and on the on the uh, economic system of the United States uh, ever since. Well, you mentioned that the Panic of 1907 uh, was swift and scary. Yes, it was. It was swift and scary, uh, but it was over quickly. Uh, and... Um, you know, and and we didn't have a runaway inflation. We had a deflation. We had uh, since 1913, we've lost about 97 percent of the purchasing power from the dollar. That wasn't true. We would, the dollar wasn't losing its purchasing power to any great extent during those days, and it and the markets were allowed to work. Now the markets are not allowed to work, and what we have is a prolonged period of stagnation. And um, you know, I guess I guess it, it's less scary, perhaps. You know, we had uh, Dr. Schilling on this show last week, um, two weeks ago, uh, excuse me, and Schilling, uh, you know, is a mainstream economist who, uh, who thinks that, you know, even though he, even though he thinks we're, we're, we're headed for a lot of difficulties and he's basically a deflationist, but he, uh, you know, he applauds the fact that the Fed came in and, and evened things out. So, you know, I guess it's less scary, it's less frightening. But in the meantime, what we're doing is uh, really bankrupting the whole country and the whole world, essentially. And to what end, Roger? Where does this thing end up? Well, and to further elaborate on your point, and then I'll answer that question, uh, you mentioned that, you know, had they left this thing alone and not come in with the Federal Reserve, that, that eventually the markets would, would level out and shake out the problems. Well, I would and say not eventually, but they would have done it quickly. Because, as well, you just said, uh, in 1907, true. it was over quickly. It was swift and over. It was scary. It was profound. It was fast. It was rapid. But the markets were allowed to adjust. Now, look at the housing market. How long? If you take a look at the housing market, Roger, and I know I'm sure you must have seen this, the new housing, uh, the new construction of homes, previously to this downturn, it was a very sharp V-shaped recovery. About 800,000 homes or so would be the bottom. And then it would be onward and upward, and a big part of the country's economy, of course, you know, it's a big deal, housing construction. This time we're meandering around since, what, 2008 or whatever, 2007, and the construction is way, way down. So what we're doing is keeping everything suppressed and not allowing the markets to spring up and to, and, and to cleanse, right? 
That's absolutely correct. And and right after this Federal Reserve thing in 1913, the United States did have a depression in 1920 and 21. And the good thing about that one was nobody touched it from the government. The duration was only 18 months, Mm -hmm. and everything resolved itself by itself. And then you know what happened in the following. We had the Roaring Twenties, and markets were back in order. Right. But I wonder if the Roaring Twenties, though, the Roaring Twenties, the Fed probably uh, started pumping money. Well, that's when credit was really established for consumers and homeowners to the extent they could finance an automobile and could finance a house. Right, and, and you that, had... That was, that was the beginning when, when credit was more expanded. Right, and then you had a situation of under underwater real estate in Florida and things like that going on, too, I believe, during that time frame. Yeah, that was 1926. And then you and then you had though um, again of course we were still on a gold standard then so the ability for the country to grow its credit and and create money out of nothing was still somewhat limited during that time frame. That's that's absolutely correct. And what what the two things that really hurt us the worst of all was number one the establishment of the Federal Reserve uh, and all the problems that came after that. But number two was, as you have expressed many times before on the radio, when Nixon uh, fiddled around in 1971 and took us off the gold standard. Yeah, in fact, we are going to, at the at the start of the next hour, we are going to play that a speech that Nixon made. Uh, and you, I'd like you to listen in on it, Roger, and then we'll comment on it. Nixon's speech and uh, in, in trying to tell the American people how it would be good for them if we detached uh, gold from the dollar you'll hear that and and uh you know we'll have it we'll have a chance to think about that after uh a- after um, you know in the, in the new hour when we start our when we go back to our show well so we have um a situation now though Roger where we are uh are we coming out of this thing now no i don't think so i think the worst two years of the whole pr- messy problem uh it are just ahead of us um Getting back to your point about the uh, the Ron Paul thing, we have a lot of Ron Paul supporters out here, uh, not only the area where I live, but people that I know, because people are very concerned about what's going on in the country in politics and economics. But consequently, the, the fallout that we've gotten from this president that we have now uh, is going completely in the wrong direction, running up giant debts and, and uh, imposing... Uh, uh, gargantuan bar- bureaucratic rules that that many people are are, are pushing back on, yeah. and it's it's coming to a head. I think in the fourth quarter of this year, uh, not only with the election but with the uh, economic situation itself. Uh, today, this morning, for example, in Greece, uh, they they gave them an enormous amount of money to pull them out of a out of a huge debt. There is no way in the world they can pay that money back, and, and the people that gave them the money know it. But they gave them the money simply because they want to protect the banks that are way out with, with uh, too many loans and too much debt, and they also want to protect themselves politically. So that's where we are right now. I think that the country over the next two years is going to face probably a situation as bad as any we've had probably since the Civil War. Well, Roger, you mentioned this president, and I have to agree with you 100%. This president, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, well, he's being consistent with his philosophy, though. Let's face it. I mean, I think I think he's always been um, uh, progressive, to use a kind word. I think you might you might you might suggest he's a communist. 
Uh, because let's face it, what is communism? It's confiscation of wealth from those that have it and giving it to the poor, giving it to people. I don't know that he's doing that, though, actually. You know, if he were really consistent with his, with his views, uh, with his uh, liberal politics, with an egalitarian uh, mindset, would he, be, would he be bailing out Goldman Sachs? Would he be bailing out the big banks? So that's one point I'd like to make. The other thing I'd like to say, Roger, is that, and one of the reasons that Chuck Baldwin, I understand, uh, decided to, he, he was a, a pretty big player in the Florida Republican politics, but stopped supporting George Bush in 2000, in the year 2000, George uh, W. And I don't, you know, I was going to ask him why in this show, uh, but then he ran, uh, you know, started getting involved, as I understand it, with, um, uh, with the Constitution Party, uh, clearly he felt that we were running off track. And Roger, you know, the Republicans under George W. Bush uh, ran up huge deficits. They did everything that they weren't supposed to do, too. They were as unconstitutional as this guy. I mean, here's the problem I have, and I think why Ron Paul is gaining a lot of respect is because he has always been in tune with the Constitution. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, if it is a nation of laws rather than men, you know, we're reminded how important that is when Bill Howell, who was on with us just earlier, talked about how the laws in Nevada allow Rypatch Gold now to acquire that land. Well, if they go back and say, sorry, we didn't mean it, uh, now it's, it becomes a nation of men rather than laws. And we have become a nation of men. Don't you think so? I mean, that, uh, well, that it's, I, I, I would out. agree with it's, that. And I, I think that the problem that really worries me a great deal is the fact that uh, some of the rules in the, in, the, in the United States Constitution and in the Bill of Rights are being trampled. Uh, there's the, there's the, the administration right now, in its eagerness to do what it wants to do, which many of us disagree with, uh, is, is pushing forward, doing some things by executive order uh, through the uh, subterfuge of uh, the, the EPA, the Commerce Department, and some of the other departments, uh, to do what they want to do that they can't do through legislation and or the Supreme Court. Uh, it looks to me like there's a lot of pushing around of rules that were formerly ironclad in the United States of America. And this is beyond worrisome. I think it's pretty scary. Well, um, we have, for example, I mean, in my way of thinking, Roger, neither the Republicans or the Democrats, they're both equally bad. And here's why I say this. You just mentioned that they're doing things to, to you know, get rid of the Bill of Rights. But, for example, this last Patriot uh, Bill uh, that allows the President of the United States uh, to deem somebody to be a terrorist can take him in prison, hold him in prison without a lawyer indefinitely, and never allow him due process. And you know what? The Republicans were worse than the Democrats on that score. There were only two Republicans in the Senate that objected to that bill that Mr. Obama signed. There were 15 Democrats that objected to that bill. So, you know, I, I think that one party, and here's, you know, and, I, and, and by the way, folks out there, if you want to call in, call in with questions and comments. We have time today because Mr. Baldwin uh, wasn't able to be here. Uh, questions for Taylor. Uh, at gmail.com, I believe, and you'll hear it on the advertisement uh, before we come back. Uh, uh, call in with comments, and I'm going to say some things that might be fairly uh, inflammatory in some ways, I suppose. Uh, but I think that here's the way I look at it. Ideologically, the Republicans are the party of the fascists, 
Yeah, the Republicans are a party of the fascist, and the Democrats are a party of the communist. Think about the ideology, at least in the rhetoric. Actually, there's no difference, because the Democrats do the same thing as the Republicans. They bail out their rich banker friends on Wall Street. Don't they, Roger? They, they sure do, do and, and uh, uh, to, to further make an understanding of what a fascist is, it's a, it's a, a joining or togetherness between uh, government and industry and business uh, to, to really formulate and promote their plans. Absolutely, uh, and, and, to keep and that, that's the kind of thing that we saw in Europe uh, in the 1930s prior to World War II, and there was some of that prior to World War I also. So this is not a new game that's been tried before. Oh, no. no, but it's it's worrisome that that we're seeing it in the United States of America. I never would have expected we could see this. Well, um, I think that there was, a, you know, I remember my college days, and that's a long time ago. There was a time, you know, during the Vietnam War, in which young people with long hair and smoked funny weeds and things they talked about they talked about fascism. Now those same people are sitting probably at Goldman Sachs or someplace enjoying, uh, you know, enjoying the fascist, uh, benefits. And, and that's the problem. What the system tries to do, it seems to me, Roger, is, is buy people out. And I wanted to ask Baldwin, uh, because I think in his view that the Christian church has even been bought out to a great extent. And that's, you know, some theological things that I had hoped to get into with him. Some other time perhaps we can do that. Uh, but uh, I, I'm not, I, you know, it seems to me that both parties are, are really going down the wrong, the wrong path. Both parties are trying to, um, uh, to be something uh, that they're not, uh, that, that the Constitution doesn't allow. And most of the American people, it seems to me, are sort of asleep at the switch. Um, so uh, w- I guess what we have to do, Roger, is try to figure out, you know, how we play this, um, in the market, you know, how do we prepare our own lives as best we can, given the scenario? Because uh, we were talking um, last week with Doug Casey and Rick Rule, uh, and, you know, those two gentlemen have found homes outside of the United States. They are very wealthy men who are able to do that, and a lot of most people can't. But um, they both have indicated that they're, uh, they're, you know, I think they've looked around and said, well, yeah, but where do we go? Uh, and and that's you know in the end uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know there may be places where you can go, but where do you invest? And they're sort of concluding that maybe the United States isn't the worst place to invest uh, after all. Um, I'm not sure exactly how much time I have before the break. It seems to me. Oh, he's telling me. My engineer is telling me four minutes. Okay. Um, well, we're going to um, uh, we're going to take a break in about four minutes. Right now, Roger. Let me ask you then. Uh, one of the reasons I've, I've had some email correspondence then with uh, Rick Rule, and subsequently uh, he indicated to me that one of the main reasons is he's really bullish on um, on, the, uh, on the on investing in the United States again is because of the oil and gas uh, of, the, of the new tech technologies, the converging technologies, the um, you know the horizontal drilling and the fracking technologies that now allow us to get. The oil and gas from shale that was before uh, prohibitive, we couldn't get it, uh, or we couldn't get it at any kind of reasonable cost. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on this uh, new technology? I think it is really uh, something to be very hopeful about in the United States. Would you agree? I would agree, Jay, and I think that uh, there's more oil and gas in the United States than most people realize. 
I've done some studying recently on the Bakken Formation, which is a huge field, which covers parts of southern Canada, uh, North Dakota, eastern Montana, and a little bit of South Dakota. Now, as I understand it, there have been 8,000 wells drilled up there. I didn't know there were that many, but I did some reading. And I found there's 8,000 wells drilled up there, and the field just continues to get larger and larger. Further, the next thing I learned this week or last week was that the quality of the oil that they're getting there is the sweet light variety, which is the, the preferred product for producing unleaded gasoline. Now, that's one of the reasons, Jay, that why Canada and both the people uh, of influence in the Bakken field wanted to get that pipeline from Canada all the way down to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. There's not one, but there's two major fields that could feed oil through that pipe, which would go to numerous refineries that are on the Gulf of Mexico that could use the product. Uh, why do they need the product? And the reason is the big Cantarell Mexican field now is down about 80% from its peak. It's still running, but at a much depleted source, and the reserves are getting smaller and smaller. Mexico has another field down there that's about five to eight years from production, uh, they held it back. They didn't want the big oil companies as partners. They wanted to do it themselves, and they finally come to the realization that they've got to have some major help with those with a lot of money and the technical ability to put those wells in that new field in Mexico. But that you're looking eight years away. So consequently, the folks in Canada that wanted this pipeline and in the Bakken area, you can understand why they want to get that line and, and get it down to Louisiana so that they can feed those refineries. Mm-hmm. I also did learn that that sweet light oil that they are getting from the Bakken field right now, which is a premium, is selling about $31 a barrel under the market. And the reason for that is the fact of transportation. And that is the reason why they want that pipeline, because the cost of loading that oil up there and taking it out either on trains or trucks is much more expensive, and it, it doesn't make it nearly as attractive as it could be if the pipeline were in position. Okay, Roger, we're going to have to go to break now, and when we come back, uh, I'm going to play a couple of uh, a couple of quotes from uh, President Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Nixon, and we will comment on that. Uh, and it's possible I'm I'm being told uh, now that I may be able to get Keith Schaefer to join us, Roger later on to talk a little bit about the oil and gas developments that are taking place. Don't go away, folks. I'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. 